We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Molly Grisham. Molly is a former college soccer coach and is now working as a leadership development coach, team builder and culture coach. So we're talking about culture, but not the typical conversations on what makes a great culture, how to build it, but more towards how to rebuild it, what happens when it goes wrong, when will it go wrong, all the things that I don't think are talked about enough when it talks to culture and a lot of things from my own experiences as you're going to hear so we'd love to hear your thoughts at Gary Cornino on Twitter at Gary Cornino on Instagram this podcast is brought to you by Techni Football the training app for individual players, teams and clubs players can train on their own when and where they want while coaches can challenge, support and track their progress I would highly recommend that coaches and their players download the Techni Football app for a free trial and go to technifootball.com where you can use a promo code MSC2019 for 10% off. More about Techni Football at the halfway point. Here is Molly. Enjoy. Molly, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. So, culture problems. I just said to you there before we started recording that I feel it culture is slightly misrepresented for coaches i know i felt that myself where as i needed to improve my culture uh there was kind of two two issues that i dealt with first was the initial bulldozer going in and building the culture and then i thought that was the the actual task and then once the culture i suppose was established or stabilized i realized that i had a whole new set of problems so what I've tried to do is take about 10, 11 areas of either my experiences or experience with other coaches that I've talked or had questions from and, and kind of throw them at you and get your thoughts on it and your ideas and your insight. Terrific. I'm all for it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. First one is something that, again, I feel we don't talk about being a culture issue or problem, and that is winning. So Pat Riley in his uh, great book, talks about the disease of me when a team enjoys some success certain individuals can respond in ways that are slightly different than before and can hurt the team dynamics things like complacency wanting a bit more credit for their roles uh, role players wanting a little bit of a bigger role etc etc what advice do you have for coaches who get that success and need to rebuild it or need to reboot the system yeah, I mean, sometimes I think it's a rebuild, sometimes it's a reboot, and sometimes it's just sustaining that success, which can be can be equally challenging. And I think the coaches that get it right are the ones that continue to have ongoing conversations about what helped them create the success that they have. Because sometimes I think players are so immersed in creating this culture of success and being a part of it that they can't even see what they're doing. They can't see that when we behave this way, it creates this outcome. They just do it. Uh, and so I think it's really, really critical as coaches that we continue to talk about our values, that we talk about the process. We help players connect those dots um, because I think players are so driven by outcomes 
that they sometimes miss. What were these steps that we took that created these outcomes that helped us to be successful? And the reality is, if being successful was an accident, then we can't recreate it. And most players want to recreate that success or sustain that success. And so I think coaches have to be really, really intentional about when we did A plus B, it equaled C. It created this outcome. And so we have to continue that and continue to maintain that. Um, otherwise, players are, are looking outside the team and, and trying to find other ways and other things to grab onto, not realizing that all the tools and resources, that process and those values are already right in front of them. And I think some of the, the best um, coaches that I've worked with have done a really good job of making those values and that process very visible in that in their program. And sometimes a coach will say to me, you know, as we start to talk about their values and, and what's created their success or what's sustained their success, they say, oh, yeah, it's, it's in our binder. I say, oh, no, uh, that's that's not going to work. You know, it's got to be everywhere they look. It's got to be a part of your language as a coaching staff that that whatever it is you embrace as a team really, really has to be so clearly a part of the process. Um, I often say to teams that um, love changes people, but people change the culture. And, and once we can get our people to really take on the values and, and embrace the process, then I think we have a chance to sustain that success. Uh, but as long as those things are just, just rules in a binder or images on a wall um, that they haven't come to life yet, that our people haven't embraced them, then we're going to struggle uh, to maintain that success. I mean, this this was a personal issue that I dealt with in one of the colleges I was at. In achieving initial success, I then was struggling to, I viewed it as struggling to motivate. But then when, when in hearing you speak there, I did sell it as, as a destination. I sold, if we did this, it would lead to something else, you know, a promised land kind of place that once, that once we realized, once we got there, that promised land doesn't actually exist, does it? <laughs> right. Right. It, it continues to move and we have to continue to move with that process and, and continue to, to be engaged in it. It's not like we get there and we stop and we just enjoy it, um, but we've got to continue to, it's, it, it's almost like being on a, a train. We got to stay on the train. It's just going to keep moving and keep moving us forward. We can't um, just get off at the first stop and say, hey, this looks good here. Let's keep going forward. Okay, player-driven culture. So something that, again, sounds really good, but difficult to, to create and implement. And that is allowing players to set their goals and targets. And it's something that, you know, I, I've made a more of a clear effort. I think my cultures were very, very coach-driven earlier on. Um, and I'm still not where I would like it to be, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But what happens when you know you want to create this co-ownership, this model with the players, giving them the responsibility, giving them the freedom to to lead and grow? But what happens when your players are maybe not fully committed to the process of getting better, but maybe more not aware of the commitment yeah. required? Yeah, I think when you have a player a player driven uh, environment, that that's it doesn't get any better as a coach when you can just step back and, and let your players take ownership of that. And I think the step or the piece that coaches so often miss is that in order for it to be a player driven process uh, or a player driven culture, there is a skill set that those players need to do it. And we have to be intentional about helping our players develop the skills so that they can take ownership of that. And so to me, when, whenever I would come into a, a team, much like you, I, I laid down the law. I was like, this is how it has to be. And so the coaches really became the guardrails on the path that we were on. 
but I knew we were successful when we could just take up those guardrails and our players took care of that. Um, I often share the story, and, and you may be familiar with it, of the Chinese bamboo and how this is a this is a seed that you plant in the ground and you can water it and give it sunlight and pull the weeds up and nothing will grow for five years. And then within six weeks, it'll grow up to 80 feet tall. And that's a lot how I look at leadership and how I look at player development, that we have to do a better job of identifying players who can be those guardrails on our team years and years and years before we need them to take ownership of that and begin to invest in them and helping them to find their voice and helping them to find that platform that they can have. Because if we just assume you're a veteran player now, you're a senior now, you're a starter now, you must be equipped to do this, then we've set them up for failure. I remember uh, a couple of universities ago, I was, uh, it was a spring, so I was mentoring our two soon-to-be captains, and I had been working with them their entire time that they were at this university, um, not as formally as I was in the spring, but had been investing in these two heavily. And so we were meeting about once a week, and uh, they came in one day, and we just started to check in like we normally do. I said, how's everything going? And I thought it had been just a great, easy week. I had heard nothing as a coach of any problems or any issues. And right away they said, yeah, well, coach, we took care of everything. Um, you, you know the freshmen were really, really stressed about their biology midterm, so we got a volleyball player. She's a, she's a senior. She's a bio major, and so she did a tutoring session for them, so that helped. And then, you know, these two players have been arguing. So we met with each of them one-on-one -on -one, and then the four of us met and we, we sorted that out. And then, you know, this player, she had a breakup. Um, so I had her over for dinner and, and really helped her out. And that was when I knew we were okay. Um, I could take up my guardrails as a coach that these two players had taken ownership of our team. But it wasn't because I was just meeting with them that spring. It had been for three years. And even in the recruiting process, I had identified the potential in these two people. And so I think coaches have to do a better job of identifying it early and investing in them early. You know, we often look at a, a player who's a great player on the field and, and we say, wow, that, that player is, a, let's say it's in the college game. She's a, she's a great goalkeeper as a senior. Well, she's not a great goalkeeper because she's a senior. She's a great goalkeeper because she's been working on that for 15 years, you know, however long she's been playing. Um, and we have to treat these leadership skills the same way. We've got to do a better job. Um, of realizing that the, the loudest person in the room isn't necessarily the leader on your team and the first person to speak up isn't necessarily the leader on your team. But who do you want on your team to be the voice and to be the guardrails and start investing in those players quite intentionally early on in their career? Yeah, staying on college then and you're looking at that uh, identification or like, you know, bringing in the right type of characters I always struggle to find out what the characters were like because it's a very inauthentic relationship almost where you sit with the parents and it's an interview process. <laughs> were the things that you looked for there, is there things that you should, is there takeaways, is there correlations between certain types of actions in those meetings that lead to the right types of leaders or what's your insight there? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly questions you can ask, but you're you're right. It is very much like a sales pitch. It's 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 very inauthentic. Um, but asking things like, you know, tell me about a moment in a game where where you were disappointed in yourself, and, and learning a little bit about how they responded to that. Um, I always loved to look at their schedule and try to find a game that I either knew they were going to win massively or lose massively, and just go watch how they handled that. You know, if, if I knew 
they were about to go lose a game 6-0. I, I want to go watch that game and see how that player handles that moment. I'm going to learn a lot about that moment. Um, or are they going to win 6-0 and they're going to play 10 minutes and they're not happy about that? How do they interact with their teammates on the bench in that moment? Um, but I think being being willing to take a little bit of a risk and ask some of those deeper questions of when they've been disappointed in themselves. When is a leadership moment? When is a moment that they have stepped up? When was a moment that they had to say something that was hard for them to say? What's their relationship like with their current coach? Um, I think we have to be brave enough to ask some of those harder questions. And, and I get it. They're 16, 17 years old. They, they may not be able to answer that very well, but it sure does paint the picture of the kind of person you want uh, on, in your program. And, and they may walk away saying, no, nah, that's not the right fit for me. I, I, don't want, I don't want that level of accountability. Or they may walk away saying, that's exactly the kind of person I want to mentor me for the next four years. Either way, it's work, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Staying on those lines then, individually, a player who has been in an environment in club or high school where they are not being exposed to adversity or even family and coming into a college setup or maybe it's a step up in club or high school and they're now struggling with maybe playing time, losing, maybe there's other issues with the team that they're struggling with. And What, what kind of role can a coach do to expose the players to adversity yet support them through mm -hmm. it without hammering them or basically you know handholding their way through it yeah yeah to me it was always about really making sure i knew exactly where that point of success was for them on the field and allowing them to have those moments in training and then be very intentional about stretching them just one step beyond that because if they have never experienced adversity they may just fall apart when it happens. And so I wanted them to be one step away from success, not 10 steps away, but one step away. And to be able to remind them of this is what success feels like. You just had that. So we're just going to stretch you just a little bit, just one step further and see if we can create a new path of success, a new point of success for you. But I think it has to be sm small, measurable goals. If they've never experienced adversity, they don't understand that what you're doing is setting them up for success. They feel like you're setting me up for failure. And so they've got to have some moments in a training session or in a game, if you can manufacture it, where they can have some moments of success and remember what that feels like and, and then look for those opportunities to stretch them one more step um, so that they don't lose themselves in the process of feeling like I've, I've got I've to stretch myself 10 steps away from success for myself. Clicks in the team, a big, big uh, culture mm -hmm. destroyer almost when you talk to coaches. You know what? If a season didn't go well, most of the time people yeah. will blame clicks and, and et cetera, et cetera. So friendship groups are natural. They're going to develop at every level. Every group and team I've been a part of, successful and maybe not successful, have all had friendship groups. But how much should a coach step in? to advise or influence or break up certain social patterns in the team setting? Well, I think in a training environment um, or, or maybe even like on a travel day, like when we're really involved in the team, I think we need to keep a close eye on it because we, you know, what we tolerate is really what we ultimately approve or what we endorse. Um, I agree that on a Friday night, you're going to go out with your friends and you should go out with your friends. And that doesn't have to be every single player on the team. Now, every coach who's being honest will say, I connect with different players for different reasons. And so, of course, players are going to connect with different players. 
But in like a training environment, I think we can be really intentional about how do we group players together? Or do we always say, get a ball and find a partner? And we know they're going to find their best friend in that moment. And so can we be intentional about pairing pairing players up or, or being really specific about what groups we want them in? Because the reality is in a game situation, you don't get to pick who's on the field with you. Your coach is picking that. And so I think we've got a chance in a training environment to force them to connect with and get to know uh, their teammates a little bit better. I think the other thing we can do is, is simply articulate the value of that to our team leaders. I'm a big believer that in just an average work environment, people mimic their leaders, but in competitive work environments, I think we amplify our leaders. And so if your leaders are on board with, yeah, I need to find somebody I don't know very well. I need to partner up with a different position, or I, I may be a starter and I'm going to intentionally pair up with someone who's coming off the bench, everybody else is going to do the same. They're looking to their leaders for those cues. And so sometimes we as coaches just need to have a conversation with our key leaders. We all know who on our team the influencers are. And just to share with them, hey, it'll make a difference for us. And connections are important and relationships are important. And can you guys help lead the way on this? So I don't have to force it as a coach, but can you lead the way on this and, and watch everybody else kind of fall in line on that process? We'll just take a quick break here to let you know about one of the best and most efficient training tools the players can have available at their fingertips. Now you can train on your own or you can motivate your players too with the Techni Football app. Created by Yale Averbush, an experienced professional and national team player, Techni Football is used throughout the US and in over 45 countries. Players are guided through individual technical sessions with video and written instructions. They can track their progress and compete with others on leaderboards while coaches can monitor all their players. Download the Techni Football app for a free trial or go to technifootball.com where podcast listeners can get 10% off using the promo code MSC2019. MSC2019. Back to Molly. This is the one that I get the most, and it uh, sometimes, especially at youth level, I don't really know the answer to it. Common coaching complaint. Young players, this young player, this 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 16-year-old, who has so much talent but has a poor work ethic or bad attitude, how should a coach deal with that at the youth level? Um, what should be the influence of bringing the parents on board? Should they be brought on board? And is there a time that the player needs to actually be asked to leave the team? Um, yeah, my, my answer to that is yes, there's absolutely a time. I think the first step for me at any age is to try to be as neutral as possible and figure out why. Why is this player acting this way? Um, most young people, I would say, have a lot going on in their lives and may not even understand the behavior that they're demonstrating. And so can we as adults take a step back and figure out, is it because they just actually hate playing soccer and they're forced to be here. And if so, maybe as a coach, we need to intervene. Are there family issues and dynamics? What is going on that would cause a kid to have such a bad work ethic and such a, a poor attitude? And I think sometimes that's where I can come in and help a coach is coaches tend to get so emotionally involved in this process. And, and so sometimes having someone neutral come in and say, okay, let's, let's take a bigger bigger picture here, I think is important. So that, that would be the first thing I would ask is why, why are they acting that way? Uh, and then the second question would be, are they taking 
more from the team than they're giving to the team. And it's really easy to justify how talented they are, but are they taking more than they're giving? And I think any coach who's being honest with themselves has probably been in a situation where they've let a player stay around because they saw potential, they saw talent, and yet once that player left, it was like a sigh of relief for the entire team. And, and sometimes if, it, if they're taking more than they're giving, we've got we've to um, either let them walk away or help them walk away. I think another question I would wrestle with is, are they going against the team values? Um, I just am a big, big believer that your, your values can be your guardrails. And if you were to say, well, we don't know what our values are, we haven't articulated our values, that's a different issue. But if your team has really clear values and you've got one player going against it, um, you're essentially lying to your team about what really matters. You're, you're saying there's an exception to the rule. And then I think the last question I would wrestle with just in making that decision is, have you seen any changes or any growth in that person? And if the answer to that is no, you know, that they're, they're taking more than they're giving, they're going against values, and you've seen no growth or change in that person, I think they're telling you what they want. And I think they're saying that they don't want to be a part of this. Their actions and behaviors are, are saying that. Um, and it's tough, you know, when they're, when they're young and, you know, there's so many outside influences and, and you want as a coach, or at least I always wanted as a coach to think that I was that one adult that could get through to them, that I, I could be the difference maker. And it's just not always the case. And is it worth losing the rest of your team, the rest of your roster and, and trying to bring someone along that just doesn't want to be there? Um, there certainly are are many stops along that conversation where you might might discover, oh, now that I know why this player is acting that way, we're going to keep her around. We're, we're going to make a, make a change. We're going to help her out. Or you may discover she is actually giving more than she's taking, but it might be 51 and 49% and you've got to shift those numbers. Um, so no, I wouldn't say you absolutely have to get rid of that player, but I think there are clear, clear reasons to part ways with players. I, I think we don't talk about that enough. Like I, I remember... This was in the convention about, oh, we're talking 12, 13 years ago. I think it was Jared Houllier was there, the Frenchman. And he was saying that, you know, with the professional who's been around four or five clubs and has developed a reputation of, you know, not really getting on board and not buying in and has been a problem reputation, he's like, never believe that you're the coach that's going to be able right. to change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it's such a challenge for us as coaches because we're problem solvers. We're fixers. You know, that's, that's our job security is identify a problem and fix it as fast as possible. And, and we often think of people in the same way. And there are some things that are just outside our skill sets. And, and I think the reality is particularly on the youth side, we have to acknowledge that there are kids that don't want to be there. They're there because their parents want them to be there. And sometimes we have to shine a light on that and, and help them move on to something else that they're going to enjoy because this, this should be fun and particularly at the youth level this should be fun and if we've got kids that that just don't want to be there we need to help be a part of that conversation teaching resilience exposing players to more adversity we talked about that earlier just with the player that was that was struggling with it well how can a coach i suppose as a collective where you know you want to create a tough culture a, a hard work and blue collar culture expose players to a little bit more how can they do that in a safe and productive way? Yeah, I think one of the challenges we have as coaches is we have to redefine success in moments of adversity on the field. And I don't think we 
we are always as articulate about that as we could be. And, and so we've got to put them in training environments where they experience adversity, but we've also got to communicate the outcome in this moment of adversity is going to be different than the outcome if there were no adversity. So for example, if, uh, if you're, you're attacking and you find yourself in a 2v4 situation, I'm going to tell my team, just keep the ball. Just that is success for us. I understand it's two versus four right now. If we can just keep the ball, I will define that as success. Now, if we're numbers up and it's six v four, I define success differently. I'm, I'm going to expect us um, to have a different outcome. But helping our players understand that in moments where there's some some resiliency and some adversity needed, we define success differently. And I think there's too many players in we can go back to that two v four situation that have a meltdown because they didn't score in that moment. It was 2v4, just keep the ball. We, we don't have to score in that moment. Um, so really, really making sure that we are articulate with our team about how we define success in moments of adversity. Um, and I, I don't think we can assume that they understand that. And there's so many different scenarios on the field that we could talk about would be moments of adversity where in that situation, we would define success quite differently um, and so being intentional about celebrating that success with them and, and making sure they understand when you're in adverse situations, we define success differently. Groupthink and apathy teams that, you know, again, sometimes culture, we get this picture of beautiful, happy locker room where everyone's friends and getting along. But sometimes that actually holds teams back, teams that have zero friction and they might mm. follow the rules. Maybe they need a spark and people disagreeing with each other people pushing each other holding people to the standard how can a coach manufacture or spark that without being accused of promoting negativity yeah so one of the things that i think has come up for me with a lot of teams is this idea of holding each other accountable and every time a player says it like you can just see their body language their shoulders drop their heads drop they hate the word accountability and so one of the things I've been doing with a lot of teams is redefining what is accountability because for them, it's, it feels like um, someone who's always right, who has all the answers, who's perfect and tells you you're wrong. And, and that for me is not accountability. For me, it's, uh, it's about loving your teammates enough to remind them of the behaviors that allow them to be the best version of themselves. And so one of the things I think coaches can do is define accountability for your team before you throw that word around. You know, if, if things start to get, um, if you do start to shift in, into holding a higher standard, there's going to be some accountability that has to happen there. But if players have a really, really negative connotation associated with accountability, they're just not going to do it. Um, but if we can define it as caring about our teammates at this really high level, where we want to remind them of those behaviors that help them be themselves, the best version of themselves, then I think we're in a, in a position for them to, to take ownership and to manage moving to that next level. Ask, that's kind of what you're saying before as well about how we define resilience. So yeah. these things are supposed to thrown on young players and thrown on young people. And then they, they do they create negative definitions with them and which hurts us as coaches because now we can't sell anything to them? Yeah, I, I think so. I think we make this assumption that we're all speaking the same language, mm. and I don't think we are. Um, you know, we, we always have to think carefully about what's the car ride like for, for a player on the way home? What words are their parents using? Um, you know, if you, if you just had a tough loss and your parents are just 
on your case for the next 30 minutes about you need to be more resilient. You need to handle adversity better. There's nothing in that moment that that young player says, yes, that sounds great, mom and dad. I, I really want to do that. And so can we as coaches redefine those words for young players um, so that they do want to be a part of that? And that's not a scary thing. Um, I, I would say another word that coaches have to help redefine is failure. Um, there is so much negativity associated with that. And, and to me, every time we fail, we allow ourselves to be one step closer to success. And the best teams that I work with are the ones that see it that way. Like, okay, that didn't work. We're, we're going to check that off the list. We're one step closer to figuring out how to make this work. So I think there are a lot of words that coaches can redefine for their players so that they want to take ownership of those terms. Completely agree. And what I think is that coaches, and I've done this myself, is that when we have those failure moments, we don't actually, we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then once we have success, we like to look back. So like like yesterday, um, love to see Tiger Woods bounce back and win and, and all that good stuff. But nobody was saying good stuff about him in the past 10 years. And now, nobody was saying that that was great growth. People were writing him off. Right. So we need to be as adults a little bit more, I suppose, aware of when we are in a slump that it's okay to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. We've, we've got to help. We, we just have to take ownership of those terms again and not assume that, that kids or young people are picking up on that. And and something I found with teams is that it's probably, we think of co you know, the, the, the most important coaching moment or the is either on the pitch doing the tactical or else this pre-game motivational speech. But the more I'm doing this, the more I learn that the, that vulnerability piece that you're talking yeah. to them is yeah. worth gold, right? Yeah, I, I think I think young people and, and people in general are just so hungry for authentic relationships. And, and so to, to know that our coaches are human and our coaches fail and our coaches get back up and try again is just a great example for young people. I think they want that so badly. This is a big one that I've that I've come across that I've really struggled with. Post game talks after a poor performance. So um never liked never liked doing it actually after any performance. I've always I've I've always struggled with the post game chat. I didn't really like it as a player and I don't place a lot of emphasis on it as a coach because they've done the work and they probably don't want a match report by it. But you want to frame how you feel about it and I get the importance of it. So how do you balance between the poor performance, if you if you don't address the actual elephant in the room, which is the performance, you risk accepting the poor performance. Yeah. Yeah. But then, if you're too tough on it, then you know, are you are you this negative coach that's bringing everyone down? What's your thoughts on balancing that? Yeah, one of the the concepts or stories I've been sharing with a lot of teams lately is this idea of being one degree off. And I was working with a woman a few weeks ago who had just kind of found herself in like. A tough place in life. And as we were talking, she was saying, I don't know how I got here. She's like, 10 years ago, I was in a great place in life. And I, I hate my job. I'm not happy with my family. I'm not happy with my physical appearance. I don't know how I got here. And so I shared this, this concept with her and have been sharing it with teams ever since. But it's this idea that we can get one degree off. And so one degree is, is not much. If you were to look at a protractor, it's, it's a very, very small amount. But if you start have a starting spot and you move forward and you're one degree off and you go one foot, you're going to end up being 0.2 inches off from where you plan to be, which is not really a big deal. But if you were to have a starting point and a finishing point that was 100 yards away, 
uh, and you were one degree off, you're going to now be 5.2 feet off from your target. And if you did the same thing, but you went one mile, one degree off, you're going to be 92.2 feet off. And if you went around the earth, if you started on the equator and wanted to go all the way around the earth and you were one degree off, you would now be 500 miles off of what your target was. And I share that with teams to say, it is not a problem that you get off track. Everyone's going to get off track. The problem is if we stay off track. And so I think for coaches after a poor performance to be able to say, okay, look, we got a little off track. We, we were one degree off. We missed our mark. And my goal as a coach is to get us back on track because I don't want us by the end of the season to be 500 miles from where we plan to be. And so can we as coaches help our players understand that a lot of things happened in that game that didn't work, that aren't, that aren't, uh, aren't going to set us up for success. And the reason I'm bringing it to your attention is I care about you so much that I don't want us to continue off track. I want us, we were off by one degree. I want us to get back on track. And I think if you take that approach, players are open to that because no player wants to say at the end of the season, boy, we were 500 miles off from where we wanted to be. Uh, and so in those hard moments, can we point out the things that got us off track and how we can get back on track so that we don't end up in a place we don't want to be? Love that. Playing time issues, obviously a big one as well for coaches at all levels of the game. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. recommendations, how, you know, should you give players prior notice to it? Should you follow up with them? Should you go over and speak to them? Or is dealing with playing time just an issue that everyone has to get used to? You know, I, I do think it is a little bit player by player, just knowing what their personality is. And I do think it's probably a little bit age specific. But I have to say in the last three years when I've been doing this work full time, it has become more and more of an issue of players saying to me, I had no idea I wasn't going to start that game. I had no idea I was going to switch positions or have limited minutes. This seems to be a growing issue. Um, so I do think we always need to assess what does that player need? And, and I hope coaches know their players well enough to know that. Um, but I do think I am seeing more and more players struggling with making the assumption that if they started the first game, they'll start the second game. Uh, if they played 60 minutes yesterday, they'll play 60 minutes tomorrow. And, and I think that throws a lot of young people off. I, I don't necessarily want to say that we have to articulate that with our players, but to what I'm hearing, at least in, in my role as a consultant is that's a, a breach of trust for a lot of players. They're feeling like I, I was caught off guard. I didn't see that coming. My coach didn't communicate with me. And uh, I, I think that's something we just need to be really, really aware of. What is that relationship like with that player? What are they going to need? Um, but I'm seeing a shift where players are wanting more of a heads up and wanting a clear path about how to, um, how to get better and, and how to put themselves in a position to be to be back in the starting line and pretty earn that playing time back. And, and I think sometimes the hard part as a coach is to say to a player, you didn't do anything wrong. That player is just playing better or tactically um, we need to play that player. And I, I remember this, uh, this last year I was with a team and we were doing a session and we were, we were talking about the assumptions that players often make. And I said, okay, so if, if you don't start a game, what are your assumptions? And, oh, the players just had a long list of, coach doesn't like me. I didn't work hard enough. I wasn't good enough. 
everything you can imagine as a coach. And the players or the coaches were all in the room as well. I said, coaches, why would you not? Uh, why would you not start a player? Why would you make a shift? And they're talking about tactics and who they played in the last game and what's coming up in the schedule. And that was not on the players' radar at all. And so I think we may have to help players understand sometimes you worked really hard in training and sometimes you did the very best you could. And that still might result in you not starting or you not getting the minutes that you want. But this is a team sport and we've got to work to put the team first and, and help them to understand that process. Is it okay to tell a player that such and such is better than them? I think it is okay to say this is why she's on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I remember specifically a, a college game where we knew that the best attacking player was their fastest player on the team, and I had to make a change in our back line to put our fastest player there. Um, and that, that fastest player wasn't our best defender, but I knew she could match her, you know, stride for stride. And so I'm having to say to arguably our best defender, look, we have to utilize you in a different way this game. Um, and I hope you understand that this is why we're doing what we're doing. And, and she was a great team player. And so she said, I got it, coach. I, I understand that that girl's going to fly past me. Um, so I do think there are times where we just have to say, this is why I'm making the change that I, that I need to make. And, and it's for the team to be successful. Last one then, Molly, how can, how can coaches get in touch with you? Tell us a little bit about what you've got open and what you're doing with teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Certainly mollygrisham.com, M-O-L-L-Y-G-R-I-S-H-A-M.com. All my social media, my mailing list, and everything is listed there. Um, I spent 20 years coaching, coaching soccer, and thought that's what I would do forever, but really realized probably the last 10 years of my career that what I loved the most was developing my players as people. So three years ago, made the leap, left college coaching, and started my own business. And so I now do leadership development, team building, and custom workshops and personality assessments with teams and corporate groups all over the country. Work with all different sports, all different ages, and absolutely love the work I'm doing. I always tell coaches phone calls are free, and you can book a phone call straight from my website. So if coaches want to just learn more about what I'm doing or chat about an issue that they're having or just vent a little bit, sometimes a coach just needs somebody to listen. I can do that as well. Um, But I work with, with folks all over the country and would love to connect with any of your listeners that I might be a resource for. Well, free phone call. You should have, <laughs> I think we've got 4,000 listeners on every one. should have at least 3,500 phone calls you should be getting in the next week. <laughs> Molly, thank you so much. This has been great. And, and obviously I'm going to recommend that, that coaches reach out to you and, and, and look at your stuff and, and try to get insight and advice because, oh, it's, it's becoming so important. Like yeah. I said, these, these are issues that I've dealt with that, Almost as I've become a better coach, I've created or come across more problems off yeah. and around the field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on and glad to have a voice and, and be a resource in any way that I can. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you, Molly. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Molly for her time and her insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Like I said at the start of the show before we began, that I feel as if the, the general culture topics and there's probably no one worse on social media than me that culture this and culture that don't really tell you about the difficult pieces of culture because you know as coaches we're not really vulnerable enough to talk about when things go wrong but for me and in my opinion having trouble in your culture is not necessarily bad coaching or bad players but most of the time it's a byproduct of growth and success the more that you do 
the more that you change, the more that you challenge, the more problems that you're going to have, the more dynamics that are going to be unsettled within your team and moving your team from good to great. As any successful coach would tell you, is a big, big task. So I really enjoyed Molly's input there and thought it was outstanding. The two takeaways for me, number one is is just the consistency of messaging. And I, you know, I feel that's where I've got it wrong, as I said at the start there, is, is what I thought was sticking to a process uh, in my eyes may not have been sticking to the process in my players eyes because I saw the process as the performance and maybe they viewed the performance just as the result so that's where I feel that that I could have done a little bit more looking back and reflecting on certain cultures that I've built and been involved in um, but a big big takeaway for me was that piece on adversity when she talked about and it's about how we define success and back to that messaging and being consistent with it and I think that's an unbelievably powerful point that as coaches, we need to define what successes are throughout the process for different players because it shouldn't just be the result. Because we, we all know at this stage that you know it's not about the result, it's about this, it's about that, it's about the process. But are we being specific enough? Are we being intentional enough when we are defining what the process is? And the process for a player for a young player who is trying to go to college is a different process for a young player who maybe is playing the game to get exposed to different challenges, who's starting the game, who is playing the game because their parents are pressuring them into do so. So for a coach to be aware of that, for a coach to have maybe different processes in place, I feel is very, very important, not just at the youth age, but also in the college and also into the, the senior players as well. So I thought that was great. I always feel that communication is at the center of a lot of these these conversations with culture and environments. And and I feel that maybe the most important conversation is the one that you have initially with the players to see what they want and how they want to be coached. And then maybe you manage that throughout. That, that will obviously change with success, with failure, with adversity, with all these different aspects of the game. But I find that, you know, coming in, sometimes as coaches, we just take it for granted that everyone wants to win and everyone wants to be successful. But the more that I'm involved in this game and talk to players and talk to coaches, I find that the, the different motivating factors change for every single person. So it's always good to visit that and then revisit it. And just to finish for me, I would recommend that, that coaches reach out to Molly and reach out to people who are doing culture work. Uh, we've had Stuart Singer on here before. You know, I've, I've talked about Donna Fischer. I've had Donna before and, and I, I talk a lot. Anytime I'm giving presentations and talking with coaches, I always say that the what bringing someone in did for my culture was unbelievably productive because it's a, it's a different eye, it's a different opinion. Their definition of you know our awareness, no matter how good we think it is at times, is never where it should be. And that's the reality of it. So bringing people in who can expose you to different opinions and expose you to a little bit more honesty because sometimes our staff members, as much as we love them, we don't empower them to tell us the hard truth at times. Um, and I've definitely been guilty of that there. So I would advise you if culture is something that you're big on and something that you're you're looking to improve, build, rebuild, whatever it is, I would advise you to reach out to people like like Molly because an unbelievable resource. And for someone like like that to say, 
you know, call me. The first phone call's free. <laughs> I just, I still can't get over that. Um, so, so yeah, make sure you do. She's, she's very, very accessible on social media and email. So definitely reach out. But we'd love to hear your thoughts. At Gary Carino on Twitter. At Gary Carino on Instagram. Always appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.